Hi, it's Niall here. Just wanted to make a quick request before today's episode. The Weekend University's mission is to make the best minds and ideas in psychology more accessible so that you can use the knowledge to improve your quality of life. We release pretty much all of our content for free and don't run any ads during the show. That said, we'd love to expand our reach and get the knowledge shared by our speakers into the hands of more people so that they can benefit too. So if you're in the mood for doing a random act of kindness today and helping others to improve their lives in the process, it would make a huge difference if you could take just 30 seconds and leave a short review on your favorite podcast provider, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher or Spotify. In addition, we'll pick one review each month and that person will get a free ticket to your monthly online conference, which usually costs around 50 pounds. Thank you for your time, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, everyone, welcome back to our third and final, st- our third and final session today from Dr. Anastasia Dejukina. Um, so Anastasia is a coach, TEDx speaker, Huffington Post author, Huffington Post blogger, and the author of Homo Distractus. She got rid of her smartphone as well as, as her senior international career in digital marketing when she realized how dependent she had become on her gadget. Anastasia then went on to set up Consciously Digital, a consultancy that helps people develop a healthier relationship with technology and the first ICF certified training program for digital wellness coaches. Anastasia is frequently quoted in the press talking about tech life balance and is a speaker at major tech events, including the World Mobile Congress in Barcelona. I met Anastasia at one of the first events I ever organized back in 2015, and I'm delighted to welcome her, he, welcome her as our third and final speaker here today. You can learn more about Anastasia's work and coaching training program at www.consciously-digital.com. So, Anastasia, it's great to have you here with us, and whenever you're ready, we'll just get started. Uh, thank you so much. I'm very, very excited to be here. I appreciate it. it's been a long day for everyone, so I will try to make it quite interactive. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation, if at some point you feel tired, is you know to stretch yourselves a little bit, then the brain works a bit better uh, this way. Um, so this is a real picture of a Chinese city of Chongqing, where they have developed a special pathway to separate mobile phone users uh, from regular pedestrians to avoid any possible collisions. Uh, Does it happen to any of you to text phone or maybe check your timeline of Facebook when you're walking? Feel free to write in the comments. No, nobody ever does that. Absolutely not. Uh, Anyone does that? So uh, we check our devices. Uh, On average, uh, approximately between 4 and 11 minutes of the time that we don't sleep, picking them up and doing something with them. which means that you might feel an urge uh, to check your devices or social media or emails uh, at the duration of the session. So I want to invite you uh, to do a little experiment with me and count how many times uh, you will feel this urge and maybe uh, if you manage to try to resist it. Can we try that? So we'll see actually 
how exactly our brains can get hooked on technology. Um, and probably some of you have seen uh, the movie Social Dilemma on Netflix. Anyone saw it? So we will talk a lot about things that are discussed in this movie. So you'll probably recognize some of the things. Uh, I recommend that you watch it. Um, I think it summarizes quite well some of the biggest problems. Ah, tonight, yes. Well, after this event, actually, we're running a discussion <laughs> as well about this. So uh, just a few words about myself. Um, I was born in Russia. Um, my PhD is in media studies, but um, I've been living abroad in six different countries for the last 14 years. And uh, I spent eight years working in London in digital marketing for very big tech brands, uh, kind of amazing dream job, uh, which I was not personally finding satisfying. And at some point, I decided I needed to take a break and uh, to get rid of my smartphone, uh, just to have a bit of space in my head. Uh, and so um, somehow people around me got interested in that. That was five years ago. Um, they started inviting me to give talks. I ended up doing a TED Talk, writing a book uh, about it. Then journalists started calling uh, one thing following the other. And basically, um, I ended up uh, working full-time on educating people how to use or design devices more consciously. Um, and that's uh, the main thing that I do today. I was getting too much work. So basically, we had to create a training program for coaches to whom I could refer this work. So I will share with you a little bit today some of the research uh, that I was finding useful in my work. I don't do research myself. I'm more uh, of a popularizer. Uh, but feel free to ask uh, any questions. Hopefully, it will be useful. So uh, we will start uh, talking about how actually technology is created so that our brains get hooked uh, on it. Um, and what are the consequences of this technology overuse on our ability to be creative, to memorize, yeah, to take decisions, uh, and on our attention? And then we will talk about the solutions. Uh, now, this is not going to be a talk against technology. Yeah, I think there are amazing things that we can do with it including uh, being part of this uh, educational program we are today. Uh, but it's more about how we can have a balance. And I love somebody saying, I'm watching on my phone, but have turned notifications off. Thank you. Thanks for doing that. So all of a sudden, information is not scarce anymore. But the real scarcity these days is our attention. And those who have watched Social Dilemma movie, uh, do you remember what is the main currency and what exactly the companies are selling these days? It's not just data, right? It's not just showing to us advertising. What has become the main currency? Anyone remembers? You, yes, it's people, like uh, one of the participants says, it's human futures, attention, but in which way? Our attention in which way? What do companies do with our data, actually? Engagement, and how do they use the data? 
which is very important. Yeah, because uh, everyone is speaking about advertising, you're targeting us. It's not the problem. Advertising was targeting us for the last hundred years. Now we were not getting so hooked. What is the problem now? The main problem. And this is what the authors of uh, The Social Dilemma are talking about. Anyone? Until I reveal the main answer. Manipulation, exactly. Yeah. And this, how is this used? The data is being gathered about you and it is being used to predict your behavior, yeah? to know what you will be doing or even to impact your behavior. So they're essentially in the prediction business, in changing human behavior. And this change happens very, very gradually. You might have noticed this on yourselves. Yeah? Um, did anyone notice, for example, that with a time you're finding it more difficult to leave your phone aside? Or uh, although in spite of your best intentions, uh, you open mailbox, you close it, and then you keep opening it again and again? Anyone notice this? Quite a few of us, right? And this process has been described uh, by Nir Eyal uh, in his book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Well, he didn't invent the scheme, but he really popularized whatever has been taken from behaviorism. Yeah? You probably have heard of behaviorism part, like one of the psychological theories. He identified the four stages of how our brains get hooked on technology. Okay, the first stage is when we've been triggered into particular behavior. So what do, for example, our devices do to make us go back to them over and over again? What does Facebook do, do to make sure that you're coming? Like in the social dilemma, this was shown very well. Sending some kind of notifications, for example, yeah, that prompts you to go back yeah, again, again, and again, up until it becomes your habit. Thing is, our brain keeps changing based on what we do. This is a quality of our brain called neuroplasticity. Have, have you heard of this, this term? So the brain, the human brain, constantly keeps changing, keeps building new connections. So the more often you repeat a certain action, the easier and the thicker this path, the neural path in your brain becomes, and the easier it is for your brain to pass this information. And that's exactly what these apps or devices do. Yeah, they prompt us to go back to our devices over and over again until we don't need any further reminders. And for example, 87% of Android users and almost half of iOS users allow notifications on their phones. Another way to think about it is that all these people allow their devices to decide for them what and when to be paying attention to. Can anyone guess why there is such a big difference between Android and iPhone users? Exactly. That's the thing about the default, right? Um, I'm curious uh, who still has notifications enabled. So I have launched a poll. Please take it. 
And when you are installing a new app on uh, the iPhone, it normally asks you if you want to receive notifications. Yeah? Android until recently did not do that. Mm -hmm. So let's see what I have. So some people, well, we have a very educated audience already. Yeah, uh, some still have the notifications enabled. Uh, some have all disabled, and there is nobody who doesn't have a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So the second stage of hooking our brain on technology, according to Neuro-AL, is to make us take a simple action. Yeah? For example, swipe something yeah? like very easily, or press, or like, or share something. You might have noticed how easy it is actually to share something online, and most people end up sharing, not even reading whatever they are sharing. And this is done on purpose, obviously. So, for example, Facebook business model is largely based on mobile advertising. So if you were uh, the president of Facebook or if you were Mark Zuckerberg, how would you optimize then the design? How would, what would you use in the design for more user engagement? You know, what would you choose as metrics to make it really easy for people to do it? To make this very, very, the action really easy. What could you do? Like button, exactly, and clicks. Yeah, and that's exactly how they're measuring the engagement. Yeah, so it should be really, really easy, not you know how how good, for example, how for good quality the news that's being shared is. Hmm? Is it misinformation? No, it's it's something very different. The third stage of hooking our brain on technology is to try to make us repeat this behavior in expectation of a reward. But very importantly, in order for the behavior to stay, this reward should be variable, which comes directly from the experiments of one of the founders of behaviorism, B.F. Skinner. Anyone heard of B.F. Skinner before? Yeah. So Skinner uh, was known for his experiments on conditioning. In one of his experiments, he put a pigeon in a box, and the box was equipped with a button. Um, every time the pigeon would peck, um, a special mechanism released a button that served as a reward. Yeah, so the pigeon very quickly learned that all it needed to do when it was hungry, it uh, only needed to, to peck. Uh, what did it do when it was not hungry? Nothing, because it was not hungry. Up until Skinner decided to change the conditions of the experiment and said, what if I don't reward the pigeon every time? Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. What do you think the pigeon did? Did the pigeon peck more, less, the same number of times or was frustrated and stopped pecking at all? Okay, exactly. So the majority is right. The pigeon packed more. One pigeon, in fact, packed 87,000 times 
over the duration of 14 hours. And the poor thing was only rewarded in 1% of the occasion. So, does this pigeon behavior remind you of anything? And what does it remind you of? Because essentially, these principles of behaviorism, exactly picking up to check for notifications, yeah, this principle is actually in the foundation of how most modern apps, devices, programs are designed. Exactly. Now, why can't we go without leaving our devices for five minutes without you know, obsessively checking them over and over again? A U.S. psychologist, a specialist in internet addiction, David Greenfeld, says that internet is like a slot machine. You never know what you're going to find there. And this variability of the reward, yeah, remember the pigeon, releases dopamine. I think you talked about dopamine today. The neurohormone, a neurotransmitter of the reward and anticipation of the reward. So what kind of things in real life give us dopamine? There are different, uh, actually, pleasure hormones, but let's specifically talk about dopamine, although other hormones are involved as well. Food, exactly, especially uh, fatty food or chocolate, yeah, if anyone likes it. That's exactly what gives us. What else? Sex, yes, yes, sex, and any kind of uh, gym is more endorphins, yeah? Any kind of um, achievement when you have to overcome yourself, yes, dopamine, or discovering new things. For example, uh, if anyone gets a pleasure from finding a new item on the sale, this is your dopamine kicking in. Now, if you think about these things, they had one big purpose. They were supposed to indicate to us the behavior that is good for our survival. But the problem is that we're never meant to act as hormones that give us constant stimulation. Because in real life, in the nature, we actually have to fight to get it, right? You don't get a sexual partner just straight away. You have to, you know, follow them, court them, seduce them, whatever it is. Yeah? In our internet lives, it's very easy because all you do is just pick up uh, the phone, you know, you watch a porn video, which for your brain is the same as having a partner, or you just swipe on Tinder and you get this instant dopamine boost. So what do you think happens with our brain when we have so much free dopamine constantly being thrown at us? Uh, kids, it's actually oxytocin. Uh, it's a beautiful hormone, our relationship with kids. Overload, yes. And what else? Exactly, Johnny. We need more to get the same effect. Yeah. So um, things don't just don't seem exciting anymore. Uh, and if 10 likes were enough yesterday, to do today, 10 likes is not enough. Yeah. You want more. You want just to continue receiving it. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the same mechanism uh, that works uh, in the drug addictions. And there have been some brain scans that were done in internet addicts. And I'm talking about addiction in a medical sense. Uh, and the brains of cocaine addicts. And they found lots of similarities of how the brain areas change. And these brain areas are uh, related to uh, the pleasure centers. Oh, 
this should have been okay um one of the principles of how this has been used is also to trigger us to experience particular emotions i hope you didn't see the slide because it had the correct answers uh and this is used in youtube so there are free emotions that are being used that activate our desire to keep sharing and also to keep discovering what do you think are these emotions so if you were Mark Zuckerberg, for example, if you were the president of YouTube, uh, which emotions would you try to activate in your users so that they keep sharing more videos and they keep spending as much time as possible online? Excitement. Okay, what else? Disgust. <laughs> very close. Yes. Wanger is one of them. Yes. Surprise. Very close. Yes. Oh. You could all be hired. Uh, okay. So I'm revealing the answer now. There are three activating emotions. Yes. Oh, which is actually the surprise. Yeah. Or it can be also these photos of cute babies or cute cats. Anyone is guilty of swiping hours with the photos of cute cats? Um, I certainly am. Uh, anger. Yeah, uh, and anxiety. So these are the three ones when we encounter these videos, we just can't stop watching them and they become viral. And actually, if videos make us feel sad, then they're being, uh, they're deactivating our desire to do that. Now, look what's happening. Uh, if you look at YouTube, and you can do this experiment after this talk, uh, if you go on YouTube, uh, you just search for something neutral. For example, in this case, I searched for ice in Antarctica. Yeah, it will show you some pretty neutral videos about this. Now, if you click on one of the videos, uh, on the right-hand side, you will have recommended videos. Yeah? What kind of things would it recommend to you? Similarly neutral or a little bit less neutral? What do you think? If you notice, <laughs> ice cream, <laughs> less new, exactly. And actually, you will notice that uh, the videos that have been, been recommended uh, will trigger one of these basic emotions. Now, if you keep clicking on these videos uh, in a number of clicks, and there are studies about this, or you can replicate them yourself, you will arrive to pretty hardcore extreme videos. Uh, for example, that will tell you that the global warming is a hoax. Uh, and there have been studies that were showing that essentially YouTube is profiting from misinformation and has been severely criticized by, uh, for, for this reason. And now if you look at the uh, chart on the left, you will see that at certain point YouTube tried to introduce some of the measures to stop that. So to stop their uh, engine from recommending uh, this kind of biased or uh, very viral videos uh, that could be also misinformation videos. But it didn't quite do it. Yeah? So uh, you see some spikes here still. Yeah? So kind of it became better, but on certain topics, actually, it did not. And on the right, I don't know if you can you can read this, uh, but it lists, uh, you, you, you can see the slides after the talk anyways, it lists the main topics uh, that YouTube is where YouTube is being seen as a misinformation engine. Yeah? One that has to do with climate change, another one with all kinds of prophets, uh, prophecies, yeah? uh, any kind of conspiracy theories. Um, and I think coronavirus uh, is a perfect example of that as well. You know, like when people are being 
told that it doesn't exist. Uh, and the issue is that it starts from pretty neutral videos. It starts, and this is the variable reward mechanism, exactly the same one we were talking about. Does it all make sense so far? Am I not talking too fast? Finally, uh, the fourth stage of hooking our brain on technology is to try to make us spend as much time as possible uh, online. Yeah, um, classic example is Tinder. When you're swiping, 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 uh, what do most people do once they have matched? Anyone knows? The majority of users, once they have got a match, what do they do? Oh, Jenny, I wish it were that, but I suspect you don't use Tinder based on your answer. <laughs> yes, Janina, it's closer. Uh, Lino, they don't Google them. I think you don't also use Tinder. Mariam, yes, they go to the next one. Exactly. Yeah, so most of the users, exactly, just keep swiping because is it in their Tinder interest really uh, to that the people go on a date? How do they make money? Yeah. Premium services, subscriptions, so actually their business model is contradicting the interests of their users. Yeah? Or let me give you another example, Netflix. Yeah, I guess everyone loves Netflix. Yeah? And did it happen to you that you were going just to watch one episode, maybe even of Social Dilemma, which happened to me yesterday, uh, and then uh, three hours later you're still staring at your screen? How do they do this? What do they do for that? Yeah, of course. Why? How, how, how does Netflix do it? Exactly, they do the autoplaying. And the issue is that once uh, Netflix starts doing this, yeah, then others have to do it as well. And in fact, Netflix CEO once famously said that their main competitors are YouTube, yeah, Amazon, and, and what's the third one? Nah, BBC, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and sleep. Yeah, these guys are after our sleep and really after our humanity. Now, what do you think are the consequences of this? What do you think actually happens uh, to us as people? I don't want to even use the word users. Um, I think in the social dilemma, somebody said that there are only two industries that use the word users uh, describing their customers, uh, which is digital and drug industry. I don't feel comfortable with that. Uh, what are the consequences? What do you think? What does it do to us, to our humanity, to our abilities, to pursue goals? Think about your own experience. Yeah, we do feel tired yeah, very, uh, very easily. Disconnected from others, especially if we're talking about younger generation. Uh-huh. Um, and if you look at the Maslow pyramid, yeah, I know that it has been discussed. Yes, exactly. Neural pathways get hooked. We actually build the new uh, pathways. Yeah, a waste in time, losing ability to think critically, mm -hmm. concentration. Exactly, find it more difficult. And uh, where do you think it's getting us? So, if you look at this Maslow pyramid, you may disagree with it or not. I know it has been criticized, but just as a model, let's take it. Uh, we're all trying, in theory, to get to the self-actualization, right? 
most people actually get stuck in the belongingness, more or less. They don't even get there. But where is this kind of technology addiction hooking us? Where is it taking us back to? To which stage? What do you think? Well, apart from the Wi-Fi and battery. Yeah, very basic ones, right? Like very often it's uh, maybe the safety. Yeah. Yeah. Some sometimes can be the physiological. So um, exactly, that's the primal needs. And I think this is the main issue, right? When you're thinking about this, there is lots of discussion about screen time. It's not about the screen time. Yeah, the, the issue is much, much deeper. Uh, it would be very easy if it were just about the screen time. Um, essentially, um, I'm, I'm borrowing the expression of Kristen Harris, uh, who's talking about downgrading humans. Yeah? And he's saying that you are either distracted or afraid of missing out. Yeah. Uh, instead of using our prefrontal cortex and thinking about, you know, what makes us human, our aspirations, our beliefs, whether you believe in God or not, your free will or your soul, whatever it is, uh, we're actually being downgraded to this trigger response mechanism. Yeah. And if you studied psychology a little bit, you would know that behaviorism actually has been criticized severely exactly for this, for downgrading humans to trigger response, yeah, to making us or seeing us as lizards. So the funny thing is that the tech industry chose exactly this branch of psychology to create their products rather than, you know, elevating the humans. Did I scare you? Good. <laughs> yeah, essentially, uh, the whole thing is about uh, switching on the prefrontal cortex. So I want to talk a little bit about the state, you know, why... Uh, like what it is doing to us, um, and then um, just about the solutions. Yeah? There won't be easy fixes, I'm afraid, but at least something. So what are the consequences? Well, the first one is actually when we're constantly stimulated, yeah, we don't have a chance to be bored. And this surprisingly has an uh, effect both on children, teenagers, and adults as well. And changing our behavior, but also in our brains. You might have noticed it on your own example. Um, is there anyone who feels uncomfortable with just sitting still, not picking up or checking your phone? For example, when you're waiting for the bus and the bus is 10 minutes late. Uh, we can be totally honest here. We all have this, including myself. Yeah. Um, and uh, in fact, scientists uh, conducted one experiment. They asked a group of people to stay quiet in the um, room and uh, deprive them, obviously, of all the devices. Any kind of entertainment was away, uh, out of the room. Uh, and they were just given one little gadget that they could use if they wanted to, to administer electroshock hmm, on themselves. So if you were in this experiment, I'm just curious, what, how would you behave? Um, so imagine that you're alone, in the room, and there are no devices, and you have to sit there for a few hours. Uh, and you have this gadget that you can use to give yourself an electroshock. What will you do? What do you think? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, the majority say they will try the shocker out of curiosity at least once. 
Uh, some say I will move around. I would just sit still. Guess what happened in an experiment? Most people uh, used it repeatedly. Uh, because they felt so uncomfortable with just sitting still. And uh, we are really losing this ability to be able to do that. Now, what's the issue here? <laughs> well, surprisingly, I mean, it was not very painful. It was just something that was uh, kind of unpleasant. And people, people knew that it would be unpleasant. So what is the main issue here? Um, the main issue is that when we are not being born, when we are, our brain is being constantly busy, we actually don't leave the space to be creative. Uh, so Moshe Barr is one of the uh, most famous researchers of, of, on creativity. Uh, highly recommend his researches. And in one of his experiments, uh, he asked people to come up with different associations yeah, to the words. And at the same time, he gave them different pieces of information to remember. So when people had to remember more information, like a longer phone number, for example, uh, they were coming up with less original, more standard associations, which is one way to measure creativity. So his main conclusion was that in order to have space, you know, like to, for, to really be creative, we have to uh, have space in our brains. Our minds generally favor the novelty. Our minds love looking for interesting solutions. You know, people are creative by nature. But when we don't have the space, then we're defaulting to the most familiar and least interesting solution. What does this mean? When I talk about creativity, I don't mean just, you know, writing. I mean coming up with interesting ideas. Now, imagine the situation. Uh, you need to come up uh, with a uh, an original idea for your work uh, or, you know, just like some solution to something. And if you have your phone or your devices next to you, how easy it is? Under which circumstances do you get your best ideas? Is this when you're constantly stimulated by the outside world or is it when you're doing something completely random? For example, walking with a dog or in the shower when your brain is empty. Most people do that. Yeah. So that's exactly what Marshall Barr was explaining. That uh, we need uh, to be bored, and actually we need practice being bored, and the more passive this boredom it is, is uh, the easier it is to become creative. Yeah? So because when we think we're being idle, actually our brains are not idle. Our brains are busy creating connections creating these neural pathways between the things that we have just learned, between old information and the newly acquired information. Yeah? Exactly. But what's very important is that the ability to delay gratification is what impacts our creativity. Uh, why do you think that's the case? Why are people who actually are able to delay the gratification, yeah, for example, not go and check their devices immediately when there is a notification, actually are bad at creative solutions? And whose prefrontal cortex um, is stronger? Why is that? So this passive boredom and daydreaming relationship only works in people with strong um, prefrontal cortex and ability to delay gratification. Exactly, Kate. This is a time to develop idea because very often the first idea that comes to our mind is not the best one, right? So we actually need some time to resist and to think about uh, the idea. But when we're 
distracted. This is very difficult to do. Um, another issue uh, of how our creativity can get damaged is that we tend to use less and less our memory. Yeah? Remember that actually in order to create new ideas, we already use uh, the memories that we store. However, when we know that information is out there, we don't make an effort to remember. Uh, for example, in one of the experiments, a group of people were asked to type in uh, a text on the computer, and they were told this text will not be saved. And the other group had exactly the same text, but they were told this text will be saved. Which group do you think remembered more details about the text? Those who were told it will be saved and not. Those who were told it will not be saved, exactly, uh, remembered more information. Uh, because our brain makes an effort yeah, to build this connection, helping us retain this information when uh, it knows that information won't be there. But when we know that we can Google it anytime, what do we do? Did it happen to you to look something up just once? Uh, then five minutes, in five minutes, you go back to it and you look it up again because you completely forgot what you were looking for. Anyone does that? I do it all the time myself. Yeah, that's exactly it. So we don't train our memory. And in fact, our memory, training our memory is also related to our ability to stay focused. Memory champions, so people who can remember, for example, several hundred symbols in the row, uh, actually have better abilities to concentrate and block out the distractions than us normal mortals. <laughs> Only because looking one thing up leads to looking about 10 things up. This is very true. Yeah. Um, another really important one, and uh, I would say a very worrying tendency, is that when children are introduced to technology in early uh, age, in the early age, uh, then actually this prevents them from uh, fully developing their brains. Anyone has heard the word myelination? So I'll, okay, do I need, okay, so I'll explain just very briefly what it is. Um, scientists look at uh, how well uh, children, three to five-year-olds, uh, were able to speak, yeah, how able they were uh, to explain themselves, to solve different kind of puzzles, and at the same time, how soon they started to use the technology and how many hours a day they were using it. And one thing that came up is that uh, the high screen time, so when they were introduced to devices early on, uh, was associated with lower levels of language and literacy skills. What was happening? So our brain, you've heard of the white matter, I'm sure. So you can think about the white matter um, as some kind of coating around the wire. So when the wire has large coating, the, the signal, the electric signal, travels through it much better. This is exactly how our brain works. Yeah? So it has the neurons. And uh, when these neurons and the pathways between the neurons, yeah, they're uh, covered with the white coating, uh, the thicker this coating is, the faster this uh, signal travels. And we talk about a fully formed brain once all this 
myelination process has been completed, which usually happens by like two, three years. Does this make sense? Yes, exactly like electric cables. Yeah. Okay. So what they found is that the kids uh, who were exposed early to technology uh, did not have this process finalized. So their coating of the myelin was thinner and absent in some of uh, the places compared to those who were not. What do you think uh, this was, uh, why this was the case? Um, there, there were different ones. So they measured uh, children who already were uh, like between three and five years old. So they were exposed, some were exposed from the year one, some earlier. Um, the question is why is this why tech leaders reportedly don't allow their own children to use tech or use social media? Uh, this is a recent study. Uh, it's from 2019. Um, I think tech leaders just were seeing it from their personal experience, but this is a good uh, uh, explanation of why. Um, Inderjit, uh, keep the uh, question about memory for the Q&A, okay? Uh, I would love to answer that, if you can repeat this uh, in the Q&A. Uh, Melanie, exactly, less interaction in real life. So the technology per se is not a problem. But the problem is that uh, instead of practicing certain skills, for example, repeating how, do, how actually is myelin being formed, is when the child is repeating the same word or trying them. Yeah. Uh, I know it's very frustrating for parents, but this is exactly how it's been built. Yeah. Uh, they say in a car, 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 pra, pra. But the more they repeat, then they're like, actually, the thicker this mind becomes. And when all of a sudden, if you're a parent, you would know this, that all of a sudden the child starts speaking. Yeah. They were just saying sounds, 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 like, boom, next day they start speaking. Why? Because the myelin has been, the myelination has been finalized. Okay. So when actually children are being exposed to technology as a nanny, yeah, so to say, uh, rather than practicing this, rather than doing other things, rather than developing their fine motorics, what they end up doing uh, is, uh, well, essentially wasting their time. Yeah? Uh, so this is a very dangerous thing. That's not to say that children should not be exposed uh, at all to any technology. There is mixed uh, recommendations about it. American Pediatric Association, for example, recommends no uh, screen whatsoever uh, before uh, 18 months. Uh, afterwards, very limited uh, co-viewing, so together with parent only, any screen, including TV, mobile phones, uh, no more than one hour a day. My personal recommendations delay it as much as you can uh, until at least children start uh, building prefrontal cortex, uh, which is free five years and finishing by 21, more or less, our ability to control ourselves, but at least until six, seven years. I would say as much as you can try to limit that. Uh, first and foremost, we're talking about entertainment screen time. Yeah? If we're talking about FaceTime with grannies, this is slightly different. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Okay. Uh, let's. Um, what? So we talked about one effect uh, that technology overuse can have on our memory and creativity, on how brains are developed, but also it can have an effect on our ability to make good decisions. You might have heard of a famous experiment uh, that was. Uh, done by Shina Younger, when there was a group of people who were chosen, uh, who were given a choice to buy from a variety of jams. So one group was given 
six gems to buy from and the other one 24 in the same shop. Which group bought more gems? Those who were given a variety of six or 24? Uh, Maya, exactly that. Can we conclude from this? It's the place displacing activities that are important rather than bad in itself. Yes. We're not talking, though, about the eyesight. Uh, sorry, just uh, something I wanted to mention. Uh, over 90% of uh, teenagers in South Korea, Seoul, uh, male teenagers are short-sighted. 90% over that um, because they spend uh, days in front of the screens not training the eyes to look far. And uh, according, I think the number, I forgot where the report is coming from, but some very like large uh, health organization like WHO, uh, ping me if you want the source, says that by uh, 2050, 50% 50 of the world's population will be short-sighted yeah, because of the screens. So no, it's not just a replacement, it's also the physical impact, but the main thing is that uh, it is distracting from the uh, main development. Yeah. Coming back to, to the slide, yes, exactly. It's those who had uh, less choice because when we have too much choice, we can't actually take a good decision. Now, uh, one research says that actually the mere presence of our smartphones already represents a choice. Um, a group of people was given different kind of IQ type of tests. They needed to solve different puzzles which measured uh, their ability to work with information they have no previous knowledge about. Um, and as you can see uh, on this uh, chart, uh, their phones were put in different locations. So some had their phones on the desk, face down, uh, some in their pockets, some in the bag, some in the other room. Which group consistently performed better? Where were their phones? In the other room, exactly, yeah. How come? Uh, the phones were even on silent or on airplane mode. Why was the steel intervening with their ability to solve puzzles? What do you think? Yeah, it's attentional grab, exactly that. Now let's see, again, don't feel bad about yourselves if you do that, but just out of curiosity. Who in this room keeps their phone next to you when you're working? Mm -hmm. And maybe if you do, maybe give it a try and for a few days try not to and see what's going to be the result. Because when we have our phone next to us, our brain has to suppress this desire to keep checking it all the time. Yeah even if it's on the silent airplane mode. Again, just treat it as an experiment. Maybe just try try to do that out of curiosity. By the way, how are we doing with our attention? Did anyone feel an urge or already went to check their devices? Anytime, honestly? Don't feel bad about yourselves if you did, but just out of curiosity. Yeah. An urge, one urge so far? <laughs> Twice, okay. Well, hey, we're doing well. Usually people, like by that time, they already report like seven to eight, 10 times. Don't feel bad about yourself, right? There are very smart people in the Silicon Valley who are getting paid lots of money to make you do exactly <laughs> what you are doing. Oh, busy with writing notes. Hey, that's nice. Um, 
another uh, way of how our brains can uh, get you know, hooked by technologies by affecting our attention. So we have two types of attention. Well, generally, there are different theories, but I'm going to talk about two types of attention that specifically apply to how we use technology. One type of attention is where the one we share with animals, yeah, the so-called alerting attention. So every time you hear a notification, uh, it for our ancient mammal brain, it represents either a threat or an opportunity. Um, there is one study that says, for example, when we're uh, keeping our phone next to our bed, for example, using it as an alarm clock, uh, it actually doesn't allow our brain to relax fully, keeps us in the state of anxiety, so you don't go into really, really deep uh, sleep because of that. Yeah, you're like expecting something to happen, as if the door to your house were open. Uh, and this technical design, um, based, as we said, like on the behaviors, actually triggers this animal attention all the time. Yeah? Uh, we react to the sound of our phone exactly as we would react to somebody calling our name. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, even if your uh, phone is on the airplane mode, this still applies. According to researchers, that's a research that was done by Harvard Medical School. But we also have something called executive attention, which is actually what only humans do. Yeah. Uh, this is our ability to stay focused on something for a number of hours. For example, you've been trying to practice it all day yeah, by blocking out the distractions. This is not something we are born with. This is very difficult to build. You know, the children uh, are finding it difficult to stay concentrated. And we build up the skill as we grow up, uh, primarily through deep reading. And this is a very important uh, ability for our brain because it helps us actually feel higher emotions, such as empathy, uh, have critical thinking abilities, solve problems. And essentially, this is what makes us human, yeah? this executive attention. Now, the issue is when we're constantly distracted, then... Um, it's very difficult to uh, practice this. And one of the reasons uh, why this happens is that we are constantly forced to multitask online. By multitasking, I mean either switching between the tabs or, uh, for example, um, between different devices. Uh, so when you're working, uh, who uh, multitasks online? What do you notice? Who is aware? And to a degree, our technology is created this way, right? Like the whole, for example, Windows concept is about you switching between different windows, which is funny enough what we inherited from the technology. It was not created to optimize how the brain works, but actually to optimize how the processor, the computer processor uh, is being used. Um, if anyone is interested, I can tell the story during the Q&A. Yeah. Um, so there are... I would say probably about a half people who say they multitask all the time or often. Now, actually, what happens to our brains when we're multitasking? Uh, we're going to do one little exercise now, all of us. Uh, if you're uh, somewhere with other people, uh, then just speak up, uh, not very loudly, but I want you to do this exercise loud. So first, I want you to uh, say it out loud very quickly, numbers from 1 to 10, as fast as you can. Uh, ready, steady, go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Done?
Mm -hmm. Now, the same thing with the uh, first 10 letters of the English alphabet uh, from A to J. Uh, as fast as you can. Ready, steady, go. A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I, J, K, G. I said too many. Yeah, done. Good. And now I'm going to ask you to combine both. Yeah, so first number, first letter, second number, second letter, or vice versa. Like 1A to B3, C4D, as fast as you can. Ready, steady, go. And, and please try to say this until the end. Don't give up. Keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Okay. Anyone made a mistake? Anyone is still counting? Anyone feels that their brain is about to explode? This is a silly exercise that shows you exactly what's happening uh, when your brain is multitasking. Yeah, we don't really multitask. We cannot do that. What we're doing is we very rapidly switch between different tasks, yeah, and the switching has a cost. So we slow down. Uh, it takes us more time to actually accomplish a task. So if you find yourself working long hours, this is why. We forget about part of the information we are switching from. And after about 20 minutes of multitasking, our levels of cortisol, the anxiety hormone go up. So my advice is when you're working online to try to avoid that. Now, uh, you're thinking, okay, uh, this lady is now going to tell us how uh, we are all going to be saved. I wish, uh, and unfortunately not. Um, I think I want to give you a general framework, yeah, and then uh, you can start working on it yourselves, but hopefully it will give you some hints on how you can start thinking about this problem. And what is the problem exactly? The problem is not screen time. Yeah? The problem is not how much, because you can be doing amazing things. Yeah? The problem is that the attention is not belonging anymore to ourselves, and that our experiences are becoming not really our own experiences. And that, as I said, we're getting downgraded as humans. So um, I come from uh, the humanities background, uh, which I think actually is an advantage today uh, in the tech industry, because it's a bit of a different thinking. So for me, what is uh, really the answer is not behavioral tweaks, which I will share a bit later with you. Uh, but it's about helping us really raise our consciousness and rather than enabling uh, our animal part of the brain or the lizard part of the brain, which is what technology does, it's actually appealing to our higher self, yeah? our cortex, prefrontal cortex, all the things that make us human you know, and developing that. So when, for example, you are starting to work on your digital habits or helping your children, do the same. Um, start with why. Why is it that I want to change something? You know? What will I be doing instead? What's important for me? What are my values? And how am I observing them? Is technology supporting me in them or is it intervening? If my value is freedom, yeah? is it supporting me? Is my value is learning? Uh, am I using technology to actually Know, support this value of mine and how can I use it or is it interfering? Yeah? Why is it important to start with that? Uh, because uh, this is putting this carrot in front of you. 
because it's much easier to go towards a vision of what you want to do, how you want to be, yeah, rather than having like a quick behavioral fix or just relying on your willpower and telling yourself, no, uh, you should not do that. Because willpower, at least there is a theory which I uh, agree with, willpower is a limited resource yeah, and it's much easier to build a routine that will serve you to get to where you want to go. Make sense? Yeah, this is kind of the generic framework from which I'm coming from, and I also come from coaching background. And then this is up to you how you get there. Yeah, uh, there are multiple tools. We can talk about meditation. We can talk about sports. Yeah, we can talk about practicing your brain, whatever is natural to you. Yeah. But I mean, like in our work, in the coaching work, uh, we talk exactly about raising you know, the consciousness, uh, making our behavior more conscious, creating the system that you're taking conscious decisions, even if you're deciding that you're going to be consciously distracting. Yeah. Um, so I suggest a system of four boundaries that you can create for yourself and see what works for you. And the same thing works for your families. Yeah. The time management is deciding when you're going to be connected and device using devices when not. Something I recommend definitely for children is not before the bedtime. Two hours before the bedtime uh, is a no. Not no entertainment time, for example, uh, before the classes, especially if there is online school. Uh, for those who are from home, no news, no social media first thing in the morning. Yeah, just give yourself a bit of time to land into your physical body uh, and also really to connect with your priorities, what's important for you. Space management is about where you decide to bring your devices and where not. Uh, again, if you're working from home, I highly recommend that you have a dedicated space where you have your devices and where you don't. Uh, for families, usually two areas that should be device-free bedrooms. Uh, both children and uh, adults uh, get old-fashioned alarm clock, uh, three euros a pound. Uh, give it a try for a week. Uh, I recommend no devices uh, at the table, which should still remain, you know, like the shared space. Um, but it includes, you know, all the family members. Relationship management is about managing people's expectations as to how when, by which channel they can contact you. And self-management is about really knowing your triggers, knowing what makes you happy. When is it that you tend to overuse your technology? Yeah, and I'll look at all of those uh, in details. Um, Jenny, thanks for sharing this. Yeah, I find if I don't touch my devices for the first hour of the day, I'm much more productive. Yeah, you all know by now uh, when you're more productive, you're creative, happier. Yeah. Uh, you know this, but this has to become the strategy. And very important, it is useless just to say, I'm going to do this. You have to create the rules around this and you have to have uh, limitations, putting the technology out of sight, uh, you know, like agreeing with yourself on any kind of fines if you're breaking the rules and so on and so forth. So what can you do? Uh, there are some of the suggestions. If you're at least curious about some, uh, I recommend you don't uh, do all of them at once. Try one. Uh, see, this works. Uh, takes about 45 days to build a new habit. Uh, if this one works, great. Move on to the next one. Yeah, if it doesn't, try something else. So what are some of the time management techniques you can use? 
And again, for me, it's even more about attention management rather than time management for yourself. But our time and our attention are limited. Um, those who still have notifications on, yeah, suggest that you disable them. Uh, and definitely try to batch check in your notifications emails. Yeah, maybe um, you know, after you have accomplished an important piece of work, every half an hour, every hour, whatever makes sense for you. So that uh, you don't have to be fully distracted. I personally use Pomodoro. Uh, I find it very effective. Anyone used Pomodoro? Uh, anyone knows? <laughs> there. Yeah, so uh, for those who don't know it, uh, basically you have a certain time period. Uh, the classic Pomodoro is 25 minutes when you're working on only one thing one tab at a time, then you take a five minutes break. And I recommend that during this break, you're actually looking far to help your eyesight and stretch a bit to help the blood go into your brain. Next session of 25 minutes, another break of five minutes. Third session of 25 minutes followed by 20 minutes break. Uh, if you really build your day like this, you will see that after four hours, you would be very productive, but also super exhausted because you're using all the resources of your brain. We don't really manage to like fully have the full attention for more than three, four hours a day. Um, I sometimes do longer uh, Pomodoro, so I do 45 minutes work, 15 minutes break. But it's absolutely non-negotiable that you do take these breaks. Uh, A, it forces you to actually work harder during these 45 minutes. Uh, B, where not the brains on the stick, our bodies need to be able to switch. Yeah? And when your body is happier, when you move a bit, when you give your eyes uh, rest, then uh, you actually end up being more productive. So if you haven't tried it, I recommend that part of your day, when your brain is very fresh, you practice that. If you're self-employed or if you're working from home and you don't have your colleagues around and you don't have strict times when you're uh, starting and finishing work, especially in the evenings, I highly recommend that you set it up. Yeah. which means that uh, after a certain time, you absolutely commit you're not going to be picking up any call relate, uh, work-related calls, emails, unless this is a real emergency. Yeah, there are different ways of dealing with it, but uh, generally, the harsher you have is boundaries, the easier it is for you then to be productive throughout the day because our brain needs time to be able to switch to something to actually recover. Uh, make sure that you have time to work deeply. Uh, Carl Newport, I highly recommend uh, those. Uh, Carl Newport. Carl Newport, uh, who writes about deep work. Yeah, uh, he talks that actually we reach our peak productivity uh, when we can uh, be absolutely not distracted, you know, like Olympic athletes. Uh, this cannot be normally for more than three hours a day. But think about how you organize your day. Any, if there are any two or at least one hour during the day when you don't have to simultaneously be doing something and answering emails and dealing with your kids, yeah? organize this and really block this time. You will find it incredibly rewarding. For the brain, it's actually almost a physical pleasure to be able just to concentrate on something because it's spending less energy. And also you will find that you will accomplish much more in three hours compared to eight hours when you're switching between the things. Mm -hmm. uh, and as much as you can, please try to uh, limit multitasking. 
so in terms of controlling your destructions, yeah, uh, it's best if you have, as I said, predictable times when you can check your devices. Uh, students who had that, as opposed to always having devices available, were retaining more information in their heads. I uh, would love to have a walk at lunchtime, only uh, get half an hour. Honestly, grab your sandwich and go outside or at least stand at the window. Uh, best thing you can do uh, to, again, like to move a bit the body and to allow your eyes to switch a little bit, uh, much more productive. If possible, negotiate with your employer uh, for a longer one. Yeah, much, uh, you can be much more productive after that. Talking about productivity. Uh, space management is about where you bring in devices, where not. Yeah, I mentioned that there should be no uh, devices in the areas where you interact with each other as a family. Um, if we're talking about the office, better have uh, meetings without uh, any devices, which is, by the way, what Amazon senior management does. A big one uh, is eating outside of your screen. I know that especially when people work from home, they feel guilty. Because they almost see it, oh, you know, like, I'm working from home. I should be, uh, you know, like, it's already a luxury. No, it's not. Uh, and actually, it interferes with your digestion problem, uh, digestion process, sorry. Uh, and you might be eating a lot, but your brain still does not receive enough information about all the nutrients. Uh, so you might end up still feeling hungry. So 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever you have. Leave your computer, move to the fridge, take your sandwich, whatever it is, move to a different space. Yeah, it's highly recommended. And when you need to focus, really try to move them to the other room. You will be actually uh, surprised by how much more productive you end up. Relationship management is about managing people's expectations as to how, when they can contact you. Uh, very often at our jobs, we get judged by how fast we uh, reply to emails. Yeah. Anyone happen to work in such company at some point or has these clients who demand this? Yeah. It's, uh, but often we also tell ourselves that, you know, like somebody, something will happen if we don't reply to emails straight away. Um, BCG has done a study together with Harvard. Um, Scientists convinced a group of BCG uh, strategy consultants to predictably unplug once a week. And unplugging means they were not responding to any emails, but they were still working on the project. And first, consultants were very anxious. They thought, oh, my God, client will be mad because we're not available. But actually, after a few months, uh, it turned out that they not only performed better and not only had better relationship within the team, but also had better relationship with the client who did not mind at all that they were uh, unplugging as long as he knew when they could be contacted next time. Yeah? So very often it's about letting people know, for example, hey, I'm not answering any emails between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m., not checking my Slack. If there is something urgent, please give me a call. Yeah? When you say that to people, they usually try not to give you any calls because this requires you know, using some braid and people like to go to go down the easy route uh, and just do FYI email. So negotiate that. Yeah. If you're really in the role that requires constantly checking email, 
This is a different story, but I will challenge you and I will tell you there are very few professions when you really need to be monitoring your emails or any incoming notifications every five minutes. Yeah, In most of the jobs, uh, we can do that at least every half an hour or every two hours. So try to manage people's expectations. Uh, as much as you can try to minimize uh, how many channels you're using, Yeah, if you're uh, using for your work or like for your private life, eight social media channels, that's going to be tricky because you will constantly be afraid of missing out. Uh, cutting them to one or two will be surprisingly refreshing yeah, for you. Uh, and definitely uh, try to focus first on your projects because very often technology becomes a tool for other people to impose their agenda on you yeah, and on your day. Same thing with resisting to check your news uh, or social media first thing in the morning, because otherwise you start your brain not from 100% capacity, but from a little less. Because they schedule these little notifications in your brain that tell you, hey, go check this, go check this. Hmm? Exactly. Yeah, and people will think that you are always available if you're replying straight away. So this is a vicious circle. And finally, self-management yeah, is about uh, allowing yourself yeah, like to work as a human, not as a computer. We're cyclical. You know your own rhythms, so schedule your work activities according to your rhythms. If you know you're productive in the morning, please don't start your morning with things that you can do later on. Yeah, like start from the things that really, really will make a difference. Um, watch, you know, what makes, what triggers you. For example, I know that I go checking uh, my devices uh, or, you know, like reading news when I feel unhappy and I really don't want to be in touch with my feelings. But there are different ways how you can boost your natural dopamine or other happiness hormones, you know, maybe getting a hug, maybe achieving something. Uh, the more of these happiness things that make you truly happy, you do, the easier it is for you. But here's a trick. You have to start scheduling them. You have to make them non-negotiable. So you literally have to open your agenda. And that's actually my invitation for those of you who have it right now, whether in digital, whether you have a paper one. Uh, open it, please. Uh, think about what is this one thing that you really wanted to do? Maybe learn to play the guitar. Maybe find a new job. Maybe launch uh, an awesome online academy, whatever it is. Might be a crazy thing, but must be something that makes you happy when you're thinking about it. Yeah. Maybe there is this big shelf of uh, books you always wanted to read. Yeah, Anyone has it? I certainly do. Uh, look at the next week and put some time for the next week that you're going to do this. And do it now. Two hours for the next week. Just literally find it and put it now. And this is the only way that you can start bringing more of the things into your life that give you this natural happiness hormones. Because if you don't do that, there will be always these small distractions creeping into your life. And our brains, remember, they always default to the, the solution of the least resistance, to the easiest outcome. So it's so easy just to get our little, you know, like satisfaction. If you ever were going to change your life, you know how difficult it is, right? And how easy it is just to check the Instagram for the first five minutes. It takes a bit of planning. Yeah, so really start making space. Um, keep this, Kate, for the, for, for the q and I'm just finishing it. Yeah? Uh, recommending that you have some time in your day when you actually can uh, allow yourself just to be bored. 
15, 20 minutes is okay. No daydreaming, just some kind of do nothing, uh, which is difficult to do when you're a parent. So maybe if you need to commute, use this. Uh, when you're walking home rather than taking a bus, maybe get off one bus stop earlier, whatever makes sense. And try to practice delay gratification. Yeah, if you hear a notification from your device, maybe resist it a little bit. Notice this cortisol going up. Yeah, those who are experienced in meditation will find it easier and say, hey, okay, this is happening. I'm going to just watch it. And the interesting thing is the more you watch it, the easier it is just to dissolve. Yeah? Your prefrontal cortex is taking over and it's telling your limbic system, it's okay. I'm not going to act on it. Yeah, I see this is happening. Thank you. I notice the cortisol is up and it's okay. Like, Deep breathing also helps. Uh, one strategy that you can teach your children before they want to go and check their device, if they have it um, in their full property, is to take a few long breaths. Yeah, like you see like, ping. Rather than becoming uh, a Pavlov dog, just take a few long breaths. Like, <sighs> do I, I'm going to do this now? I'm going to delay it in five, 10 minutes. Yeah, This way you're claiming back your attention, your ability to do that. Uh, those who do meditation or mindful reading, uh, it's a great practice for any age. Yeah? Uh, if you're not comfortable with just sitting, you can do walking meditation, you can mindfully paint something, whatever it is, any activity that allows you to stay focused and do something, only one thing in the here and now. And one of the best ways to restore your executive attention is to practice deep reading. By deep reading, I mean it's just you and your book, nothing else. If you're finding it hard, read a lot. Just start with one page a day. Uh, you should not be reading it on the devices. It should be a print book. Worst case, Kindle with no internet connection. Why worst case? Because actually there's been research that shows that we don't remember we don't retain information that well when we're reading on Kindle. Uh, but I can appreciate, you know, I've been living uh, in different cities in the last 14 years. So obviously all of my books are in Kindle. So if you can have a print book, better print book, uh, Kindle second best option, but no internet connection when you're doing this. Yeah? Uh, and every day just regularly increase the number of pages. You can do read really, really focused. Yeah? One page, then two pages and three pages. And this way you rebuild your ability uh, to stay focused. And I would love just at the end of this, I'm going to take the questions, but I would love, you know, all now to think. Uh, hopefully you have heard something useful. And I would love each of you to think, what do you want to commit to? You know, you have spent today the whole day listening to you know, different people, different expertise. Really make connections now. How does this relate to your life? What do you want to do? If anyone wants to write in the chat what they really wanted to commit to, to try something from what I said, maybe from what the previous speakers advised you, please do. And write it somewhere for yourself, somewhere visible, maybe even attached to your monitor. And really commit to doing it in the next week. Yeah, really, seriously, like this is your life's. You know, this is your lives. Uh, these are your memories. These are your experiences. Uh, and it's up to you to believe in them. Because at the end of the day, our devices are and should remain our tools. But they will only be our tools, amazing tools, as long as we are managing them.
and it's not them that are managing us. Thank you very much. So uh, for those who are um, just a couple of words, and then I will take the uh, questions and comments. Uh, for those who want to know a little bit more about this topic, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we have a training program for coaches who actually help people do this professionally. Uh, I invite you to have a look uh, at the program. Uh, the next intake will be in April 2021. Uh, it's a bit similar to what I was doing with you today, very interactive. Uh, and uh, it is open for people from different backgrounds. In fact, I think it's, as I said, an advantage if you don't come from technology background. And I know that there are a few students of mine here in the room as well. So if you're here, say hi, or at least I saw them before that. Uh, that's the first thing. Um, second thing, if you have any questions to me after that, if you want uh, any research, just ping me on the email. If I don't have time to answer, feel free to add me on LinkedIn as well. Um, and just one small request, uh, please don't share the slides publicly. Yeah, these are for you. And if you professionally work in this area, uh, I would appreciate if you respect the copyright. Uh, by all means, this research is public, but please uh, take it and tell it in your own way. Yeah? This is good karma points, and this is uh, nice legal practice as well. So uh, I'm very open to questions and comments. Uh, and apologies for people whose answers, uh, whose questions I didn't answer before. So if you want to just repost your uh, questions here, I will make sure that I reply to them. Um, we're getting some really positive comments about it. So thanks very much. Um, so we're just going to take some questions here. The first one is from Kate. And Kate has asked, how would you recommend managing use of social media, news feeds, gadgets, etc.?" when you live on your own and you're now working from home? Um, do you need, uh, do you need to use them for work or for yourself? So Kate, if you want to reply to that in the chat, perhaps. My first, my first suggestion is uh, remove them from your phone and only keep them uh, on your computer because the phone versions usually are more um, hooking in a way. Yeah. Um, for yourself yeah uh keep it in the other room agree with yourself that you have predictable times uh when you're checking them let's say like every hour five minutes 10 55 11 55 um try it for a couple of hours every day yeah so maybe like don't don't expect from yourself to change your behavior immediately um i would also recommend that you uh Tell your best friends, you know, when you're going to be available uh, and definitely separate yourself from your devices. Again, there will be days when you will just feel whatever, you know, like I just want to do this and that's okay. But make it 80-20. Yeah, 80% of the time, try not to uh, not to do that. I hope it helps. Okay, uh, next question. Um, for somebody listening to this who knows that they are like full-blown addicted to their tech and their devices and everything and you know, they know it's a serious problem in their life and it's really affecting them. Like, what would you say are like the, the first steps to starting to unplug and just free themselves from their devices more and developing a healthier relationship with their technology? First steps. Okay. Uh, if we're talking about addiction in medical terms, uh, NHS Internet Addiction Clinic in London. Okay. Uh, ser ser seriously, addiction, they actually treat internet addiction. 
Um, it's mainly with gaming uh, and with uh, online porn, but seriously, go there. They're very good. Uh, if we're talking about bad behavior, uh, honestly, what would you do if you were overeating chocolate and you really need to be on the diet? Don't buy chocolate. Go cold turkey. I'm sorry to say that, but uh, it's the only way to do that. Uh, for a month, uh, introduce some limitations yeah, to your devices. Uh, generally, what helps a lot is changing the environment. Yeah, that's why, I mean, I'm not the big believer in digital detox retreats, but it's a good starting point. Uh, it's better to start doing this when you're going on a break, not in the same environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally not to rely on your willpower, but have some routines. Mm-hmm. Okay. For example, uh, I don't know, like maybe start with, I'm not going to check any of my devices before 11 a.m. Will be, will be a good starting point. And for that, you probably need to hide it the night before in the other room. With yep. notifications of. Okay. Um, we've got one here from Maya. Uh, she's curious about what you said about throwing away your smartphone. Did you actually do that? And do you now have a smartphone? Uh, unfortunately, I do now, which is very frustrating. Um, I lived without any of that. I just had a dumb phone for a year and a half, uh, which was beautiful. I got one back because I was traveling a lot uh, and I needed the maps. Now, I have two phones, so the smartphone is the one that only is at home. Uh, I don't have uh, any social media on it. Uh, I have, uh, I mainly use the camera. I don't check emails on it, and I generally use it as a, a tool, for example, because my bank forces me to have an app. <laughs> I have an online bank, which... I try to, you know, explain to them that I don't want to use it. So, uh, but I try not to use it as my calling device. Yeah. So in a way, it just works from the Wi-Fi and it's there as a tool. When I travel, uh, which was a lot before the coronavirus, uh, this travels with me. But again, as a rule, I try not to run any business from it or no interactions. My weak point is WhatsApp. Uh, which, again, I have notifications disabled, but uh, I have relatives around the world. Uh, and I haven't yet figured out the way to stay connected with them uh, without paying lots of money uh, for just international calls, but I'm working on this. And no, I'm not perfect. Okay, awesome. Um, in terms of when people finish their working day, like say they finish work at five o'clock and a lot of people are working at home now because of COVID. Um, I personally find myself, you know, I, I finish work and then I'll just go into the rest of my life. And it doesn't feel like there's any kind of um, transition between exactly. work and home. And I find that very unsettling, you know. So what sort of advice would you give to someone who wants to transition better between Home or working life and home life, especially uh, separate spaces, if you can. Well, if you have the luxury of having a separate table where uh, your computer is being uh, left, do that. Um, if you have a luxury, uh, create two accounts on the same computer. Uh, one work related, same thing for the for the work. Yeah, one work related, one not. Uh, same with your phone. Um, so physically, yeah, as much as you can separating, uh, I would also recommend rituals. Yeah. After you finish the work, uh, do any silly thing. I don't know. Walk around your table three times, whatever it is. Something that tells your brain, Hey, work is finished. Mm. Ideally, if you're still in the, not in the lockdown, immediately go outside. 
just to refresh, not to be stayed in this automatic uh, thing. Again, don't expect yourself to be perfect every single time, but create, experiment with the routines, create something that works for you. Awesome. I like that. Um, you do training for digital wellness coaches. Like, what is this? What does a di- digital wellness coach actually do? Like, what if someone comes to them with a that they want to improve the relationship with, with technology? How do you, how does a di- digital wellness coach actually work? What mm. what sort of stuff do they do? Is there is there any of my students here? There's a question to my students. Actually, a good one. Um, there are different ones, right? Like when we work with families, we talk about. Uh, how you can create the rules for the whole family and make sure uh, that you can deal with your children's uh, tantrums. Yeah, so you're working on the plan together. Um, with companies, we're looking at the digital culture. So what exactly uh, is intervening, you know, like why people are burning out, what they need to change in terms of procedures or working with leaders. Uh, for example, I work sometimes with entrepreneurs. So we look at what they do on a daily basis. Um I challenge them if they really need to be spending eight hours on social media looking uh, for their uh, clients, or is there another way to do that? Um, Definitely. um, I think the main, I think one thing that, you know, what coaching has, like all all of the things we work on, is that we start with where do you want to be? What are the values? And how technology can intervene with that or support you in that? And that's, again, like for everyone to think about. But this this is a very generic answer to a very big question. Awesome. Okay. Uh, uh, Rochelle, is there, is there anything you want to uh, share in the chat about like what, uh, how you worked with any clients or anything? And just feel free to use, uh, use the chat. Maybe just share your experience. Might be interesting for others. Okay, so while Rich, Rachel's doing that, I'll ask, I'll ask the next question. Um, any apps, this is kind of paradoxical, but any apps you would recommend that people can use to help improve their relationship with technology or any Yes and uh, no. Um, yeah, well, I mean, there are, there are lots of them. There's a whole market. Uh, my issue with them is that you're outsourcing your mental capacity to them, right? So you're just telling. Uh, so I think it's a good starting point, uh, but I don't think they're the solution at least long-term, um, you know, like if you have an Android, you know, there's digital well-being app, you can always negotiate with this, the same uh, with the iPhone. I think it's a good starting point for that. Um, I'm trying to remember the blocking app uh, that I use for my... Uh, let me just... Uh, give me a uh, I... Um, there is okay. Uh, I'll remember the name. There is basically a free uh, free extension to Chrome, uh, which you can use to block uh, any of the distractions that you have, uh, just for an hour, for two hours. But in my experience, it works better to organize your routines like this. Um, it will come to my mind right now. <laughs> no worries. Any any other questions? Um, I think that's pretty much it. That's actually, I think there was something, I think there was something about children. Uh, the person who was asking about the children, can you please remind the question? There was somebody, I think, asking about uh, children. Um, I, I must've missed that one. I didn't pick it up. Um, all right, never mind. I mean, if, if, if I didn't have time for that, then just, um, feel free to email me or end me on LinkedIn. Yeah, we're running over over time here, so we'll we'll end this now, Anastasia. But you know, thank you so much for for your presentation. I think people have really enjoyed this and taken a lot from it as well. So it's been brilliant. 
Thank you. And for anyone that's interested in learning more, check out consciously-digital.com forward slash coaches to learn more about Anastasia's work. Um, thank you all very, very much. Well, I hope you enjoy your uh, Sunday evenings or daytime, wherever you are. And thanks so much for organizing this. Uh, real pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And see you guys soon.